Hello, I'm Darius McDermott from Fun Calibre, and this is the Investing on the Go podcast. Today, we are talking to Mark Sherlock, who is the lead portfolio manager on the Hermes US Smith Equity Fund, and Steve Chevrone, who is also a portfolio manager within the firm. Hi, guys. Thank you very much for taking the time to come and talk um, US Smidcap ideas with us today. And maybe just before I jump into the questions, Smidcap uh, refers to small and mid-sized companies within the US market and the opportunity set that they have within them. Um, so let's jump in then to a few questions. Wow, what a year we've had so far. But um, as you went into 2020, the portfolio was positioned for a positive economic environment. Um, I'm assuming that views have changed. You've been probably reasonably busy in the last few weeks. Can you tell us about some of the activity that you've done on the portfolio and maybe some areas that you've actually bought and or added to or sold? Absolutely, yes. As you suggest, uh, the portfolio was positioned going into 2020 for a reasonably benign economic uh, backdrop. Uh, clearly, the uh, arrival of coronavirus has changed that markedly. Um, I would say in terms of the actions that we have taken on the portfolio, uh, prom- relatively promptly uh, at the beginning of this crisis, we did a uh, really a recent branch review of the portfolio um, really specifically focusing with this laser focus really on balance sheets. Um, There were lots of things that we didn't know, like the duration um, of this pandemic and the economic effect that it would have. But what we did want to be sure of was that that there uh, were in the portfolio, uh, 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 really all the companies could make it through. Um, I should note that this was already a strong group of businesses of the circa 60 stocks we hold in the portfolio. at a portfolio level, we are two standard deviations um, under the market in terms of leverage. In other words, our companies have a lot less debt um, on average than, than the market itself. That being said, following this review and following a, a large number of calls to our underlying businesses, we chose to exit four out of the 60 positions. Um, two were oil-related companies. Um, really there, that we had this, this double hit of excess supply uh, hitting at the same time as 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 a significant drop off in demand, um, the oil price has has fallen significantly since that period, um, and and of course so is the, pro- the prospects of those of those uh, oil oil businesses. Um, the other two companies that we exited were real estate REITs, so they're companies that own uh, shopping malls uh, throughout the U.S. Again, for obvious reasons, um, people aren't allowed out of their homes. Um, you know that the, the mall traffic was down significantly. Uh, this obviously put, put, puts in jeopardy the ability of companies to pay their rent, um, and ultimately that goes back to the landlords who themselves have debt attached to that, those properties. So, um, in terms of what we exited, those were the, those were those the, 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 the principal moves uh, in the first couple of weeks. Uh, we then reinvested those uh, proceeds into two uh, tech businesses. Um, one that we'd owned previously called Teradyne, and they make testing equipment for microchips. So anything anything that you use that has a chip in needs testing, and these guys are the largest provider of test equipment. And the second was a company called Power Integrations in a similar sort of space, and they provide uh, power solutions for, for microchips and semiconductors. Um, that could be converting from AC to DC power, uh, altering the, uh, the, 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 the volume of power going into a particular chip. Uh, and so on. So these are both uh, structural growth stories uh, with fortress balance sheets. 
one observation that, that you've made is that sort of the increasing gap, valuation gap between small and large companies. I notice particularly on the NASDAQ, um, but to a lesser extent, the S&P, that the US large caps uh, have been very robust and traded very strongly in the recovery. Um, Steve, could you tell us a bit more about that sort of valuation gap that you see between the, the mid and smaller companies and the larger companies in the US, please? Yeah, so you know, small cap companies, as is generally the case, underperformed in the initial stages of the crisis. Um, why might that be? Well, first off, you had stress in the funding markets, and these companies are looking for external financing quite a bit, smaller companies in general. And so they really did underperform in the first stages of the crisis. However, we're now transitioning from crisis to recovery in its early stages. And, and in general, smaller cap companies tend to do better in that early recovery. So for example, from the market bottoms that occur during recessions, if you look out one year from that date, small caps as measured by the Russell 2000 have on average achieved a 75% return. That's seven five, which is 25% better than the return that large caps have achieved over that same time period. So we think there's a number of factors at play. One, Small companies tend to do better in the early stages of recovery. Two, tremendous support. Both the federal government and the central bank have liquidity measures and support measures in place, primarily directed at small cap companies, which we think is going to be a real boost to them. Three, we think that we're seeing the re-onshoring of manufacturing and jobs from emerging markets back to the United States. And we think that small caps are going to be a big part of those reconfigured supply chains. Um, and so for those reasons, uh, we expect to see significant catch-up and then leadership by small and mid-sized companies in the in the kind of months and, and, and weeks and months to come. So what sort of sectors or, or industries are you finding particularly interesting at the moment? I would say, given that we run a broad uh, broad, broad-based exposure within the portfolio, there are two uh, elements, perhaps in, in, in areas in different parts of the portfolio, which we think look really interesting in the minute. The first in what might be described as a more sort of growthy uh, end of the portfolio is uh, some of our medical equipment manufacturers. Um, of course, these, these, there's, there's been an increased focus on, on, on medical equipment um, given the global pandemic and uh, thoughts around who might be the beneficiary uh, of those. Um, I would say in terms of the stock, stocks that we own, uh, we have exposure in, in two particularly interesting areas. The first is a company called West Pharmaceutical, and they make the packaging for biotech uh, drugs. Um, as you can imagine, as, as the, the, the global search for a vaccine for coronavirus uh, intensifies, so we feel um, that this is a business that could benefit um, from, from, in terms of its packaging expertise, from, from that particular um, exposure. Uh, similarly, we own a company called uh, BioRad, um, which uh, manufactures the, really the chemicals involved in biotech um, production. Again, it is currently uh, the, 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 the only um, company uh, that, that is listed in the US that's, that has exposure to COVID-related um, trials uh, in, in terms of the, the uh, kits that they provide um, for uh, coronavirus testing. So an exciting sort of space to be in um, from a business growth opportunity point of view. I think the, the other area that we that we look at, as I say, it's a broad-based fund. The other area that excites me is, is, is some of the more value 
sectors. Um, so I pull out um, some of the financials, the insurers and the banks. They are um, really trading on incredibly low multiples. And there's a lot of pessimism baked into uh, those valuations, which, which I believe uh, over time will prove uh, unwarranted. Um, while there have been some challenges in terms of interest rates uh, falling, um, reducing the ability of banks to, to, to make money, um, I think the, the valuations fully reflect that. Um, and I think that they, they went into this crisis much better capitalised than in the great financial crisis. Um, they've taken significant provisions um, for, for, for loan defaults, uh, which again, I think will prove overly pessimistic over time. But I guess I would, I would really sum up that, you know, the, the, the value opportunity in the portfolio as a whole, um, the, 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 the PE valuation, so the price earnings measure of the portfolio, um, which is the same as the market, is down around 14 times against a, a history of of around 17 times, so 30% drop in, in, the, in the multiple that you're, um, that you're paying for, for these types of stocks. Uh, and within the upside of our portfolio as a whole, um, you know, typically that's ranged between 15 to 25%. That's right around 45% currently. So I think a very interesting setup from a valuation uh, point of view uh, and, 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 and a good base from which to generate decent long-term returns. So you're seeing certainly plenty of opportunity for you as a good stock picker. Um, Probably one of the most talked about sectors as a beneficiary of what we're going through lockdown globally is, of course, technology. One instantly thinks of a Netflix or an Amazon, these big US tech powerhouses. Um, What about in the US small and mid-size areas? Are there any tech stocks that you could tell us about that are benefiting from working from home or the uh, delivery type angle what's interesting you what are you seeing at the moment sure i'd say we have a number of uh, of, of exposures to that um uh, sort of theme if you like um uh, as you say i think we've all experienced the power of technology um over the last uh, two months to to really um, help keep the, the wheels turning. Um, I would say, you know, picking out a, a couple of, um, of, of, of examples, um, we own a company called PTC, um, and they're very much benefiting from this convergence of the, of the physical and, uh, and the digital worlds. Um, if you think about it, you may, may be familiar with the, with the concept of IoT, Internet of Things, which is, um, in simple terms, is really uh, machines increasing the, their ability to talk to one another um, and make uh, life easier for those uh, like us who are operating those uh, machines, be it in the, in the home, in the office, um, from a communication standpoint, uh, and so on. So uh, I think what often these periods of crisis exacerbate and speed up uh, change, and I think this could be an example of that, really, where these IoT endpoints are forecast to grow by by 30% a year through um, for the next five years. Um, PTCs, uh, the company that we own, has great relationships with the d- device manufacturers um, and is a, really in a, in a unique position to drive significant acceleration and growth uh, to their nascent IoT business. As it, in simple terms, it enables customers to connect smart devices. So that would be uh, certainly a, a holding we would expect to, to benefit from this, this type of trend that you talk about. Another observation uh, is the deterioration in the relationship between the US and China. Uh, Again, at the turn of the year before COVID really spread to the US and Europe, it looked like the trade was was improving. 
But now that the rhetoric is very much um, negative, it's also a US election year, and um, there's always some fallout from, from, from that, particularly with Donald Trump and his relationship with China. Where do you see potential opportunities? Will, will there be more manufacturing return to, to the US from some of these overseas um, overseas areas? And how will it affect maybe some supply chains and where the US can actually benefit? Yeah, I think this question is directly tied to the last question because technology, I think, is at the heart of this issue. Uh, companies, by and large, went to China for cheap labor. That was the initial push towards kind of moving manufacturing to China. However, technology, and we talk about it as a digital revolution, it's the Internet of Things that Mark talked about, but it's also automation and robotics and artificial intelligence and 5G Internet and advanced biotech. I mean, you can, it's a much more robust set of technologies. Well, one of the effects of that is it decreases the reliance on labor in manufacturing. Labor is a smaller part of your input. And, you know, to take that to the extreme, once your factory is run by a robot, you don't want it in China. Your shipping costs are higher because your primary end markets are still the east, west coast of the United States and Western Europe. They have no reliable source of cheap energy. You have no real intellectual property protections. You have uncertainty on the Korean Peninsula. We don't know if Kim is alive or dead half the time. Uh, you have the threat of tanks rolling into the financial center in Hong Kong. And if I may be so indelicate, we've got a global pandemic that originated in a city that most of us hadn't heard of three months ago. And, and the government in China may or may not have been as forthcoming and transparent as the global community of nations would have preferred. So that's not exactly the ideal setting that they write about in business school. By contrast, we think that the center of the United States is emerging as one of the next great emerging markets, actually. When you think about it, uh, there's more land than we can fill with people. And for those of you who haven't been there, go to Tulsa, Oklahoma. There's plenty of room. Um, easy shipping routes to the east and west coast, which are two of the primary end markets. We have so much oil that we can't store the next barrel. The 750 million barrel storage facility in Cushing, Oklahoma is full. We have one of the lowest tax rates in the world, an educated workforce. I've never heard of any weird diseases coming out of Kentucky, although they do make some wonderful bourbons. Um, and as the song says, we have amber waves of grain. And so one of the things that we expect to see happen is, is a kind of manufacturing renaissance in the center of the United States. And I think that's while the United States and the center of the United States is, you know, particularly well positioned, I, I think the broader point is that economic growth in the long run is a function of population growth and productivity growth. And if you look at those countries where those are in abundance, it's the United States, Australia, Canada, and India. It's the former British Empire. I don't know why. Just seems to work out that way. Um, and so we think that those are particularly well-positioned economies and the center of the United States in particular, especially because policymakers are very much on this theme and are uncomfortable with facts like 30% of U.S. medication coming from China. Uh, we think that they're going to encourage that. They're going to incentivize it. We think this is what the trade war is essentially about. 
Um, and we think that's going to be great for small caps because, again, they're going to be a part of those supply chains for those companies coming back, and they're going to service those employees. They're going to be the restaurants that sell lunch to these folks. They're going to be the haberdashers that sell clothes to these folks. And so it's one of the reasons why, in the long run, we're very, very excited and bullish about not only the U.S., but small caps within the U.S. So it sounds like even in the height of um, global pandemic and doom and gloom, you actually see some um, strong positivity, positivity not just for the U.S., but in particular the center for the U.S., and clearly uh, the beneficiaries are being U.S. middle and small size companies. Yeah, it's not to minimize the pressure that we're under. I mean, the second quarter of 2020 is likely to be the worst quarter of economic growth, I don't know, ever. Um, but it does not detract or derail some of these longer term themes, themes of population growth, albeit at a slower rate, but population growth in the parts of the world that I mentioned, themes of innovation. And when you think about you know, what Mark said, we expect to see accelerated spending on technology as companies reevaluate their work from home solutions and their cloud computing and their internet connectivity and their network security. Well, that means you're going to see greater spending there, which accelerates this digital revolution we're talking about. Uh, similarly with healthcare, you know, one of the tragedies here is the reason we all had to lock ourselves in our homes is because our healthcare systems weren't prepared for a pandemic. Well, I expect you'll see stockpiling of key goods and medications and investment in that infrastructure. And so what we're going through is incredibly painful and sad. And I don't mean to minimize that at all, but crisis has both risk and opportunity. And we think some of the longer term opportunities, you know, remain a robust and B may be accelerated in their progress by, by the crisis. Listen, guys, that's fantastic roundup. Mark, thank you very much. Steve, thank you very much for giving us a real insight into some of the opportunities in the U.S. mid and small cap arena. For more information on the Hermes U.S. SMID equity fund, please visit fundcaliber.com. And if you wish to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast, please also visit fundcaliber.com. Please note that these are unprecedented times and markets can react very quickly to news. The views expressed here are at the time of recording and could obviously change. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening.